0: Because we are going to be looking at two characters uh, tonight, so I'm going to be focusing on the book of Ruth, if you pop over, thank you very much, Uh, and it's only four chapters long, the entire book's in the Old Testament, small chapters, but across those four chapters it looks at how God can redeem even the darkest of times through the people around you. And it's a really wonderful uh, book, and there's incredible stories. But tonight, looking at just Ruth chapter one, which is, it's gonna be a fair chunk to read together. Uh, so please bear with me, but there's so much in it, and I really wanna share sort of my reflections and my thoughts, focusing on two uh, characters in it. Uh, and chapter one centers mostly in one of those characters that I'm gonna look at, and that's uh, someone called Naomi. Naomi, uh, as we will see, finds her character shaped and changed, or she at least sees her character has been changed by the experiences that she goes through at the end. Um, so let's, let's read uh, through Ruth together. Oh, okay, Ruth 1, it's an account of distress, a display of vulnerability, and an act of devotion. If I someone asked me if you could sum up your sermon in one sentence, what would it be? It would be that, an account of distress a display of vulnerability, and an act of devotion. So let's read together. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now, Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter in laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughter-in-laws, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud. And they said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi turned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So right, let's just pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word, that it is living and breathes life, and we do pray now that you would, by your Holy Spirit, come and open up our hearts and our minds to receive from you, to know more of you. And whatever it is that you want to speak into each of our lives, we come ready to receive. Speak now, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, so, Naomi. We're going to look at Naomi and Ruth, but let's focus in on Naomi. Within the first five verses, such a short space of uh, the entire chapter that we've just read through, Naomi's journey has gone from displacement to tragedy just in five verses. Famine has led her family to have to leave their home in search of provision and they're moving to a different land. And they would have faced huge cultural differences in the place that they're moving to. The Moabites uh, worshipped many different gods and idols uh, and throughout their history they had hostility towards the people of Israel. And that's the same people group that Naomi's coming from. Now we're not told that Naomi and her family experience any hostility, but this move is not gonna be something that's easy that they make. So she's lost material comfort, security of her home and her people group, and then also, not only does she lose her husband, but both of her sons. Three losses. And the loss of all three men meant the loss of an heir. And in this time, this would have been devastating because the loss of an heir meant no way for the family name to continue, no inheritance. Naomi is now destitute. Far from her own community, she's without a home, her husband, her son, and now any hope of financial security. And if I had to pick a season to describe where Naomi's in, not her character, but just what she's experiencing, and we were given those four seasons, I would have picked winter. This is a lot. Displacement and three bereavements. But what really struck me in this passage as I read it and why I wanted to read through all of it was her vulnerability and her authenticity, not just to herself and to God, but also to others. And when I say the word authenticity and vulnerability, they sound like big fancy words. Basically, her ability to be real with people, to be real with herself, and to be real with God. Um, and I've, I've had that rolling around in my head for the last week about Naomi's vulnerability and reflecting on it. And uh, this week, uh, I listened to a podcast from a church in Texas uh, quite often, and I was reminded of a phrase that the pastor there uses, and he calls his church a hot church. He doesn't do that because their AC broke or anything like that. He calls it a hot church because it stands for honest, open, and transparent. And that's what he seeks for his church to be there, to be hot, honest, open, and transparent. transparent. And when I, when I heard that, all of a sudden, Naomi popped into my head. And because these three elements really demonstrate... Naomi's vulnerability. She's honest, she's open, and she's transparent with where she's at. And I think the three key things that we can apply to ourselves and to our own relationships with God and with each other. So what can we learn through these three things in Naomi? The first one is about honesty. Naomi is very, very clear in how she feels and how her situations have caused her to feel when it comes to God. There's nothing left uh, for for us to try and figure out. She says, the, Lord, the Lord's hand has turned against me. The Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. The situation or situations that Naomi's faced, the grief that she's experienced and to the extent of what she's experienced has caused her to feel abandoned by God. And I'm not, I wasn't surprised by how she felt, given everything that I'd read about her. What I was surprised by was how open she was to those around her about how she felt. And I'm sure many of us might be able to emph- eh, not emphasize, empathize, keep kept getting those words wrong, empathize with her. Maybe not quite with those same words, um, but maybe with words such as, God, where are you? God, why did this happen? Why me, God? Or, why not me? How long do I have to wait? When is this thing finally going to change or there be something different? And the beauty, actually, in this is that the Bible doesn't shy away from people expressing how they feel or expressing the circumstances that they found themselves in. And actually, it has caused for Naomi her to feel like the Lord's hand has turned against her. And he's not favoring her. And she's experiencing the opposite of God's favor. The Bible doesn't hide away from that. Uh, I'm not going to give you two. I'm only going to give you one example, but here's another place that does it. This is David in Psalm 13. He cries out at the very beginning of it, How long will you forget me? And he's speaking to God. How long will you look the other way? And I think I've given you a different translation there. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my own thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long, Lord? I think sometimes we forget that God is not afraid for us to come to him with these kind of thoughts. This is where I'm at. He wants us to be honest about those feelings. Because actually in those moments when we're honest about where we're at, that's where God goes, great, now we can together work through this. But I need you to come and be honest with me first because I can't work with that. I can work with your honesty. The Bible doesn't stop putting these things in there and it's it's freeing for us to be able to do that too. God's not angry either when we come to him and say, what's going on? I don't understand this at all. And quite frankly, the situation's made me feel this way. And in that same psalm, David ends it going, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. David reminds himself, he cries out as well, but he reminds himself, actually, when I think about the journey that you've taken me on, and David certainly does go on a very interesting journey if you know anything about his story in the Bible, but he remembers God's love to him and the goodness that he displayed towards David. So Naomi is honest about where she's at. She doesn't try and hide it from herself. She doesn't try and hide it from others, which I was completely surprised by. The next thing is about being open. So Naomi is open, or at least what I felt, she was open about sort of her hopelessness for the future with her daughter-in-laws. So Orpah and Ruth have the ability to find financial security again if they go and marry. But what Naomi is fully aware is that it involves them heading back to their hometown. It means leaving her. The best option for them in this place. Naomi, I have no hope, but my daughter-in-laws can if they journey back to their home, their families. And that doesn't mean that she would then journey alone. But she prioritizes their needs before her own in this moment. She prays a blessing over them. You know, may God show you the kindness that you've shown me and your husband. And may you be blessed with a second marriage, with that financial security again. And when her daughter-in-law try and to protest against it, because it's like, no, we don't want to go. They're upset. And she's brutally honest with them. She says, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? I am too old to have another husband. And the verse continues, even if, like, let's be really honest, girls, even if I could find a husband right now and get married, you would still have to wait for me to bear sons, and you would still have to wait for them to grow up. That isn't practically an option for you. The best option for you right now is to return home. In her openness, though, we also see that because of how she feels that God has abandoned her, Naomi doesn't really see a way out for herself in that situation. There's no hope for her financially or uh, where she's going to go next. She can't have another family. She has concluded that her situation cannot be redeemed socially. God's turned against her. Of course, she's going to feel that way. She's in this hopeless place. And in that, she's boxed God's ability to show her just how he's going to bless her. I've had the perk of being able to read all the way to the end, and if you do, you can go home and read it if you want, the next three chapters. Uh, But what Naomi doesn't know in this moment is just how God's going to go and bless her with the people around her. There's some other characters that are going to come into this as well, but through Ruth and someone called Boaz, she's going to be beyond what she could possibly imagine. God is going to bring her uh, blessing and healing, but she can't see that because right now I I can't see a way out of it. Therefore, how could God possibly find a way out? She's boxed God into that. And I think hopelessness can do that. But maybe it's not hopelessness, so I want to throw out the question, what or where, what areas might we be boxing God's ability in our own lives? What emotions sometimes cloud our hope that we have, or the hope that we read about when we do read the Bible? How have maybe different situations distanced or can distance us from God? that phrase of, I can't see a way out of this. How on earth are you going to do this, God? I don't see where anything could change. And I don't know if anyone in this room has ever experienced uh, feeling uh, hopeless. Um, I've only experienced that once, and I've ne- it was the very beginning of, of COVID and uh, the lockdowns, so When you, back in the day when you're only allowed outside once for a little bit of exercise. Um, and... The news had been on in the background all day, as it was, because all sorts of announcements were being made, so you kind of wanted to just, well, what else were we going to do? We'll just keep watching the news. And I got to the end of the day, so nothing drastic had happened. I got to the end of the day, went upstairs to go to bed, and I just kind of stood in my room, and I thought to myself, I feel completely empty. Not, I have less hope, I just have none. It was a horrible feeling. And in that moment, I was like, I really don't see how things could ever change. I don't see how the world, but is this it? Is this life now? Of course, I didn't know where where we're going to be and how life is now. But I just couldn't see a way out myself. And it's a horrible feeling to feel that empty is the best way I can describe it. In that moment, the only thing I could do was remind myself of Jesus. My hope is in Jesus. I can't see a way out and I'm clearly boxing your ability, God. You are my hope. You are, uh, I mean, this is where knowing our Bible and different verses is great. Like the way, the truth, and the life, I said over myself, Jesus is the life. There's not just this life on earth. I believe in something to come still. And that's, that's all I did. And then went to bed. And I felt fine the next day, but there was, it was just the weird, not the weirdest It's a horrible feeling to feel that empty. But I had to remind myself, and this also popped into my head. It's from Isaiah. For my thoughts, this is God speaking to us, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In hopelessness, I mean, Naomi is open about this, but her hopelessness has caused her to box God's ability. And then, finally, transparent. She is so saddened by her experiences, so bitter, that she changes her name. It tells us and Naomi means pleasant and delightful, Mara, which the Bible tells us, means bitter. Again you can look at that and be like... She really is experiencing tough times to go that drastically and change her name. But when you really understand that actually, the Hebrew way of thinking, a name was a person. You were your name. Changing her name wasn't just uh, a way of being dramatic. Naomi was saying she's being completely honest and open about where she's at. And she's telling all those around her, my suffering. Has become part of my identity. It is now part of who I am. Bitterness, despair, hopelessness, it's not just something I've experienced, it's now me. But that came, the transparency, and that's so brave to be that transparent with people around her, came from being open and honest beforehand. The one thing that really then stood out, so she's she's honest, she's open, and she's transparent. But through all of that, even though she feels bitter, Naomi does go back home. The minute she hears that God is providing for his people, she hasn't forgotten that God said, I will provide for my people, and I will be there for them. She hasn't forgotten the promises that he's made. And so she returns back to her own land, in search of God being her provider yet again. There is hope for Naomi, although she felt hopeless, because she doesn't enter Moab alone. She returns with her daughter in law. And when they return, they enter when the barley harvest was beginning. Now for me I knew nothing about what that meant. I was like, great harvest, it must be autumn. Actually, the barley harvest would would be what we call a spring. So although Naomi has got to the end of the chapter in what is a winter season, she's even taken that on as her character. She probably, when she said, I went away full, maybe she would describe that as spring or summer, but I'm returning. My character is in winter. But when they return back to the land, back to God, they return in spring. She may feel like she's in winter now, but spring is coming And although Naomi felt abandoned by God and she was honest and open and transparent in that, the truth is God had not abandoned her. And like I said, she can't see what's about to come. And what we all have as our encouragement is that God never abandons us. What is our hope now is that God is with us. Christmas is approaching, and there's classic uh, verses that always get shared at Christmas time uh, about Jesus' birth. It's great, but one of them that we always hear is this. So the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The first name that we're given about who Jesus is in Matthew 1 is God with us. Of all the ways that God could have chosen to save his people, to reunite them with himself, he chose to come and be with us, not distant. He chose to come and experience what life was like, our trials, our temptations, our suffering, our joy, so that we can say this. We have a high priest who is able to empathize with us, with our weaknesses. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus understands the burdens that we carry, the suffering that we experience, and he's with us in it. We're not always guaranteed that life's going to be easy or perfect. But what the Bible does promise promise us is God will always be with us, even in the lowest of places. And then there's Ruth, the second person in this story. And our introduction to Ruth shows a daughter-in-law who is loyal and devoted to her mother-in-law. And she is determined to stay by Naomi's side. Naomi and her family left Bethlehem in search of provision. There was famine, there was an escape. Ruth chooses to return with Naomi back to Bethlehem out of love. And there's that word that's used that she clung to Naomi. And in its original context, it's it's a Hebrew verb, and it's used to describe the joining of a man and his wife in Genesis 2 but it's also used to describe a person who stays committed and faithful to God. It now being used in Ruth is emphasizing her love and her commitment towards Naomi. And she's displaying, this is a Moabite woman who's not from that culture, the culture of the Israelites, displaying a characteristic that God says, I want my people of Israel to display. And Ruth doesn't just choose to go with Naomi. She chooses to put her identity in God and in the community that he calls his people. So here's someone else who is changing their identity, not due to bitterness or hurt or pain, but through love, love for her mother-in-law. And with Ruth, Naomi, for me, was in those moments when we cry out, to God, and we're not in the greatest of place. God wants us to come to him and be honest with that, and he meets us in that. With Ruth's story, it's very much about how we care for others and how much loyalty and devotion comes into that. So I wonder, uh, his question throughout, when you're faced with someone who's going through a difficult time, when you're faced with a Naomi, Maybe it's someone who's feeling hopeless about the future. We only have to turn our news on to feel that. Uh, Maybe it's someone who's struggling to handle the pressures that's facing them, whether it's at work or at school. I'm a youth worker. I know plenty of young people who were stressing about their exams even before the school year began. Or maybe it's someone who has experienced loss and grief. How do we naturally respond when we're faced with someone that is in that situation? What's the first thought that kind of comes across your mind? I think sometimes our desire to want to help others because we really, really care and we love them, we can fall into a trap of trying to then fix them or make them feel better. There's a temptation to do that. And then that can lead us to maybe even feeling powerless when we can't change the situation or that person doesn't feel any better. And that can then become very discouraging for us, or we can end up taking on burdens when we care for those people. For me, the thing that really struck me with Ruth, she didn't try and fix Naomi. She just simply said, I'm here, and I'm coming with you. And the power of simply turning up and listening too often can be really underestimated. And I've, uh, in my youth work training, and if any of you ever go on a course that's about mentoring or how to support someone, you will always be told that listening is really, really important. And the power of listening, and to not just let them talk. I knew all of that stuff. I still find it hard to listen, if I'm being totally honest. I think it's a skill that we all can work on but something for me that I really... I understood the value of why listening was so important when I faced grief a few years ago. And I'd come back here, and I'm experiencing a loss. It was painful. It still is, to be honest. And the thing that I valued the most was just having someone to listen to me. But sometimes I realized, though, that grief is a hard thing for other people to deal with. I know I certainly felt like that. When someone had lost someone close to them, I always used to think, I have no idea what to say to them. I don't know how to handle that. And I experienced that when people thought, I don't know how to handle you. They tried to fix or suggest, and I eventually just, they were, I had to stop saying anything, and I'll just keep it to myself. But what I really valued was the person who would just sit across the table and let me share and let me cry, and let me be angry about that situation. Let me basically be Naomi. Why would God have let this happen? I'm in a lot of pain. I feel like my identity has changed. And I tell this story because of the importance of listening. And it's not that there isn't a time and place to give advice or to do something, there's definitely that. Uh, not all situations are the same, but I'm making the point of listening being our first point that we start with before we jump to conclusions of what we think the other person needs. Because the danger with jumping to conclusions or thinking we know fully what that person needs is we run the risk of undermining their vulnerability and undermining how they feel. And then they will walk away Feeling probably worse than they already did. So, listening as our first point of call. Caring for others uh, isn't easy. Ruth's loyalty to Naomi came at a cost to her. I mean, she was now leaving everything that she had known, going into the unknown and into a land where she was going to be a foreigner. But Ruth showed her love by remaining a daughter. I read that today, and I just thought, that's incredible. Showing your love by remaining a daughter. Because she did have the option to walk away. And we show our love for those in need by remaining committed. Remaining committed to show up. Remaining committed to listen. And if at times, remaining committed to offer support where we can, remaining committed to being a friend. So as I kind of come in uh, to sort of the end of all of this, there's a lot in that, and I don't know who you've connected with, whether the stuff I read about Naomi, you've said, that's me. That's probably where I am at. If you haven't said that, then you're probably in the camp of Ruth, just so you know. Vulnerability is key. Naomi didn't shy away from being open and honest with herself, with God, with those around her. And this, again, what's to come? This is going to be the starting point of where God goes, right, we're going to rebuild together and I'm going to bless you. But it was that starting point, her open, honest, a transparency. That's the starting point of which God was like, we're going to journey together in this. And her story also reminds us that I'm not going to say it. Her story reminds, or I hope reminds you and me, that your deepest feelings and your deepest worries and your deepest anxieties and even your joys are not hidden from God. He longs for us all to come to him, being open and honest. But he also knows that we need that with each other. But being vulnerable is really hard. I'm saying this just like, need to be vulnerable with each other, and that's what God's asking you to do. That's really difficult, and it's difficult for a number of reasons. I think probably because it's scary, definitely a scary thing. It might be that we're not ready to face maybe the pain or the hurt that's attached with being open and honest about where we're at, possibly that we don't see anything can change, there's a sense of hopelessness, we're afraid of what others might think. Being vulnerable means that we show who we are. And there can be a fear of, but what if this changes people's views about me? What if it changes how they see my character? What if I get defined by others through how they're seeing me in this moment? Could just simply be that we're afraid of looking weak. Too often, vulnerability is seen as a weakness. And I'm here to tell you that I definitely disagree with that. But it comes with a disclaimer. Being open and honest and transparent and vulnerable with people comes with a disclaimer that I have to, have to share. I am in no way encouraging us, every single person in this room, to be open and vulnerable with every other person in this room. That is not wise. I'm definitely not encouraging that. So please don't go away thinking, you now have to share absolutely everything, your deepest, darkest secret with absolutely everybody. No. What I am saying, though, is we need to trust the people that we open up with. And we need to have at least one Ruth in our life. One person that we can trust and go to and be completely open and honest with. Now, normally there's some application questions at the end, and I have got some. But I was desperately trying to think, what questions could I think of people who are saying, I really connect with Ruth, Uh, Naomi, not Ruth. And I didn't come up with anything fancy of what application questions I could throw out there for those of you who are Naomi. Instead, I offer you this encouragement. Keep being real with God. And I want you to know, as my voice goes, that you're not alone. In a second, I'm going to invite the band back up and we're going to spend time worshipping. And that's a time and a space for you to express the openness and the honesty with God and to be transparent with him. After the service, there are people that are willing to pray with you and I really encourage you to take them up on that. Don't worry about what anyone else thinks. If anyone does think badly of you, just come find me. I'll I'll sort them out. (laughs) To the Ruth in the room, which, like I said, if you haven't connected with Naomi, you, my friend, are in the Ruth camp. You have some questions to think about. This week, I want to ask you, who is your Naomi? Or who are you going to be a Ruth to? Or maybe, who do you need to recommit to? There was someone that you were there encouraging and supporting, but that connection has been lost, and actually, God's just put them on your heart and in your mind now. And to be honest, this one's for everybody in the room, Naomi's and Ruth's alike. Where can I practice listening more this week? Let that be our starting point for whoever it is that we encounter. Listen first. I once was told, listen, and when you think you've understood what a person's trying to say, listen some more.